0: All right, here's another uh, episode three of Speaking Educationally with Doug, and you guys want to introduce yourselves again? What do you, who, who we got out there?
1: Good day to all our listeners. Um, this is Gerard Phillips. I'm an assistant principal at an elementary school. Um, I am from... Georgetown, Delaware. By the way, of Magnolia, Delaware, here in Kent County. I am a husband and father of the three, and I'm just excited to be connected with Dina and Doug um, on speaking educationally.
0: Nice. Anything with around Dina? Um.
2: So I am a middle school reading teacher and um, 15 year teaching veteran. Um, I've had lots of different roles. I've been an instructional coach. I've been, um, PLC facilitator. I've done a little bit of pretty much everything in education, um, taught both middle and high school. And I am excited to be here with, uh, Doug and Gerard to talk equity.
0: Nice. So I'm a principal in, in, uh, Newcastle and, um, been a principal at K to five school for a few years. And, um, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about how our day's been and, um, it's all just about doing the work, and uh, if you listen to episodes one and two, you learn more about us, and in episode two, we talked about what we're going to talk about, and I think tonight, the, conver- the, the conversation is going to be centered around our mindset about how to do the work around equity and diversity, and just making sure that our schools and our spaces are places for all kids to learn. So, I'm just going to throw out the first question, and then why don't one you two jump in? Um, so, so, why is it important when you are doing this work you're going to run into the fact that you have to have difficult conversations. So why is it important to be okay with having difficult conversations in your school?
1: I will, I'll go ahead and jump in. It's important. It's important because it's necessary. Most of our schools have a variety of ethnic backgrounds, um, different cultures, this different, um, economic classes. And for us as educators, we all come from different cultures, different backgrounds, different races, different households. And if we were exposed to these different cultures, ethnic groups growing up, we will have, we will be totally clueless on how to reach those students. So the difficult conversations going to come in when someone or one of our peers or one of our colleagues or one of our supervisors or us we see one of our fellow educators one of our brothers or sisters going down the wrong path with a student where they're going to they're going to lose that student and learning is not going to be advantageous for that student in the classroom we just can't sit by and watch the student struggle and the teacher struggle and that leads to some of those difficult conversations because if we are one of those educators from one of those from those ethnic groups like if for me if i see a black student that is struggling and i'm a black educator and i see that there are some questionable equitable instructional practices going on and that student doesn't see themselves as a part of that learning environment that community In order for the teacher to be able to learn and grow and be able to help that student and have a background knowledge for more black students, I I have to say something um, in a respectful way. And as an educational piece of, hey, I saw that you are struggling with this student and I just sat back and observed and collected some data in my mind. And this is the disconnect. And sometimes those conversations are difficult um, but I think they're a lot easier to have when it's just one-on-one. But right. when it's in a group setting, people can be very defensive.
0: Yeah. And- so, so can I jump in real quick? Because no, I think what, what, you, what you're saying is sometimes you collect that information in your head, and then it's a follow-up conversation. Like, what were you thinking when you said that? So, Dina, I'm wondering from your perspective, like, because you're in the classroom. Gerard and I have been out of the classroom for a little bit. Like, do you see yourself in a situation, sometimes you're like, oh man, I'm going down a path or I heard a colleague say something where you have to step in. I mean, has that ever happened in your, in your teaching history?
2: Um, so I, it's, I I think that there are things that I've heard people say in the past that I was reluctant to confront because I, I think in my own assessment, I kind of was like, who am I? Right. Like, "Who, who am I to say something? And I had a really great conversation about this. I was voxing with um, with a, the leading equity group. And one of the teachers had said to me, you know, you need to, to realize that you have the capacity to be able to confront things. And, you know, you have a voice and you need to utilize your voice. And for a very long time, I, I don't really, f- I, I didn't really feel like I had a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I realized that in a classroom, I have the most powerful voice in a classroom.
0: Absolutely, one hundred percent. And I and, think teachers forget that sometimes. But go ahead.
2: Yeah, it's we. Well, we forget it all of the time, you know. And and I think because <laughs> we forget it, that awesome. we that we do, we also don't understand sometimes the language that leaves our mouths. Once it leaves your mouth, you can't take it back in, you know. And and so. Things come out of out of teachers' mouths sometimes. And you know, and in all fairness, it, it comes out of administrators' mouths sometimes as well.
0: Oh yeah. Um, oh, that I've said things that I'm not I've said things I'm not proud of at all. Yes.
2: Um and I think and I think too, as um and this is just something that I just don't think can be avoided. Um when the conversation is coming to a teacher from an administrator, it has a very different weight than if it's coming from one teacher to another teacher. Mm. And so if I had a concern about how a teacher was addressing something with a student, um, if I, if I went to a teacher and confronted that um, they may either respect the fact that I have said something um, and appreciate and respect the fact that it didn't come from the administrative level um, or they're really going to hate that I confronted it. But either way, it should never be okay with me that a teacher is using language around anybody that is going to be harmful. Right. Um, so I, it's, you know, after, after having given that some thought, I mean, I I am probably in the best position to be able to confront somebody who has said something um, harmful. And the, the other thing that I wanted to say as well, because I just got me thinking when Jarrell was talking a minute ago um, is that our kids, we, we don't know their backgrounds. You know, when they come to us, we don't, we, we may have an idea, but we have kids that have two of the same gender parent, You know, we, we have kids who, you know, may come from a, you know, a mixed race family. We have kids who come from different backgrounds and, you know, it, it's our responsibility to make sure that those kids feel just as welcome in our room as any other grouping of kids
0: yeah so so it's funny because before the show we were talking about the to live quality podcast and I listened to it today and one thing that he said was he said you know in a logical conversation in a logical thought you know if you stop talking the conversation goes away because everybody understands it's logical and an unlogical or illogical conversation or thought stopping the conversation actually just festers this illogical thought so when it, when it comes to like inequities, it's it's nobody can agree that inequities are okay it's illogical you don't understand like no white person can sit there and say they understand why they're a racist like it just doesn't make any sense we all any white person would struggle with the idea of being a racist no matter how much racist they are they're going to say absolutely struggle with it in their head like why is it okay for me to hate somebody because you're 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 taught no matter what not to hate so the right so the conversation has to happen because if you don't have the conversation then it just festers more racist thought. And I thought, you know, he, I was like, that just opened up a whole, I was like Pandora's box of thoughts in my head, but I don't know. Gerard, do you want to talk any more about, um, and Dean, you said something else that I wanted to touch upon and ask you further, but if it comes back to me, I'll come back to that. But Gerard, anything else on this first question about why is it important to have difficult conversations?
1: No, you guys, um, all, all of us, we've all said it. Uh, I yeah. think that that's the sounding, that's the springboard right there. To get it's, it also,
0: it's also courage though, right? It's a lot of courage. You have to say and do something. And I find the more awkward, uncomfortable conversations that I have, the easier they get, but then it also is, it's, it's also a weight that you carry around with you. And it's like, oh man, like, cause my filter is so high. I'm like, oh, I gotta have another conversation <laughs> and it becomes hard. I'll be honest. It's hard to do. So, all right. You guys ready to move on to the second question or are we good? Sure. All right. So the second question was, what do these conversations look and sound like? Can you give us sort of a, sort of a a surface level, not surface level, but like a global perspective of some, maybe you combine some conversations and summarize how these things have looked and sounded like. Um, I certainly have an example if you want me to go first or who wants to take the, uh, the reins on this one.
2: Go for it, Doug. All
0: right. So, I will always kind of defer and it's this has just been in the last maybe, I don't know, five or six years where I have just committed myself. Um and I have some colleagues and if they listen to this they're gonna laugh because I say that I, I want to live in the uncomfortable, um and I want to live in the awkward at times because it it's like I played sports when I was growing up and the first um you know when you're warming up before the game i, I never liked the game cuz i was so nervous but the the warm up the 30 minute warm up was the time where i could shine cuz i could mess up right i could mess up i could get i was a goalkeeper i could get scored on in practice or before the game of warm ups and it'd be okay cuz i wasn't losing points but i was having fun right? right once the game started you know that nervous energy became uh, something that it was hard to overcome and i think that's where I've lived in the uncomfortable and awkwardness. And one of the things that I want to make sure that when I'm having difficult conversations and what it sounds and looks like is me really looking at the person and connecting with them. Number one, computer screen is down. Notebook is out and I'm taking notes if needed. If it's just a face-to-face in the hallway or something like that, it's quick. It is eye-to-eye and it's just it's just quickly like... Tell me more about what you meant with that, or tell me more, explain to me what you were thinking when you did that, or tell me what was your thought process around that. Um, and once you kind of drill down and continue to ask like that sort of why, um, it ultimately comes to this idea of realization that like, as the adult, especially when it's an issue with kids, as the adult, you have that power and that control. So the only thing that you really have control over is you, but you're also the adult. They're seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. Like they're going to be kids. Um, so it's kind of drilling down for me and like getting them to realize that, you know, ultimately they were responsible for how it got to where it got to. Now, obviously there's certain situations and some kids just have issues no matter what, but 95% of the time it's the adult that has either escalated or created the problem because of a power struggle. Um and it's, a lot of it has to do with some of the ways that people think about certain kids. And it's sometimes, not always, but sometimes kids of color. So that's my two cents. Hey,
1: hey Doug, I got a, qu- a follow-up question to what you just said. Sure. Now, when it comes to what these look and sound like and what these difficult conversations, have you found that in the past... It has been, sometimes it has been a challenge getting to the difficult conversation that you want to have because of the other layer of by the time you were brought in or intervened, a lot of other stuff had transpired where the power struggle between the adult and the student, you had to try to clean that up first before you even got to the Um. difficult part that you wanted to see. (laughs)
2: Yeah. You can't, neither one of you yeah. can see me right yeah. now, but I'm nodding my head.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Well, and that's the, and that's unfortunately the thing. And I, and I actually had a conversation with someone the other day about this. I've made decisions based on the decisions that other adults have made that I'm not proud of. So for example, as a principal and assistant principal in George, uh, my school before, you know, I've, I've given kids consequences where I knew the consequences wasn't warranted because the teacher took it to that level that the kid reacted in a way that I didn't have, like my hands were tied. Like they, the kid had done something to the teacher that was like, okay, we're done. Like the kid has to have a severe consequence. Was I proud of it? Could it have been avoided? Absolutely. But that's the opportunity to then say to the teacher. And I've learned is this consequence, which you're now seeking, is it going to fix the child's behavior or can we look at your, what you did, once you're not so emotional, you have to bring them back to center. You know, once you're not so emotional, can I bring you back to center and then talk about what could we have done differently next time so that we don't have to, quote unquote, suspend the kid or put him in ISS or whatever. Like, could there have been something else? Sometimes it's unavoidable. Trust me. Sometimes kids just need serious consequences. Absolutely. hundred percent. But well, a lot I- of times they don't.
2: It's and I, I, and I think the 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 unfortunate situation with all of that is when you have that conversation with a teacher, if it's coming from an administrator, the perspective is, well, I'm not being backed, right? You right. know, and Absolutely. it's you know, and I I've had um, you know, and I certainly am not perfect in how I've handled things, and you know, and I'm going to give you an example of something that happened two years ago. I had a student where he had asked he had asked for something, and I responded very sarcastically, and. And I shouldn't have, you know, it's like, I should have just said, no, not a good time or what have you. And, um, what ended up happening is that he was really upset, like really, really upset to the point where, like when I was handling something with another kid, he got up and walked out. Yeah. And uh, like, you know, so I, you know, I, I knew the kid relatively well and, you know, ended up, you know, it's, I, I figured, I, I figured where he went to. And had contacted that, t- contacted that teacher. But I said, "Can you send this student up to see me?" And when he sat down and talked to me, um, you know, we talked it through. And I said, "Look, I don't, I don't get it right all of the time, and I make mistakes." And I said, "I'm not upset that you walked out. I'm upset that you didn't give me a chance to apologize." Yeah. And well, changed the dynamic completely. But it's like, you know, it's we're we're going to make the mistakes in how we handle things, but you know, how we. Manage to restore the relationship with the student. They're going because that kid is not going to forget what you said to them, and they're not going to forget how they felt in that moment when you said that thing you said. Right. And so it, you know, you you have to ask yourself as a teacher sometimes, you know, are you in this to service your own ego, or are you in this to build a relationship that's going to foster this student being successful with your content?
0: Yeah, that's good. And it's not even your own ego sometimes. It's like I am teaching them responsibility by respecting what I say every single moment of the day. And it's like, no, that's not how the world works. (laughs) It's kind of like – so I hear you. And and, and that's – you probably didn't with that child. You probably didn't expect that reaction at all and it caught you off guard. And you probably went straight to emotional. You're like, oh my gosh, what did I say or do that affected that child that much? But then it sounds like you were able to get right into that restorative – Sort of practice to say, okay, let's figure this out. How did this happen, and next time, how could we react differently?
2: So the bottom line with it is, it's like you know, you you have to ask yourself what's more important. You know, it's like it's, it's just you know the, And I've I've told kids before, you know, and I I know that there are teachers who disagree with me, but I I do take late work as a policy. It, you know, it just I I do I do set some parameters around it when I have students who I feel are abusive with you know, turning things in late, they're just not being responsible with it. But generally speaking, I do. And, you know, it's like, you got to ask yourself, is, is your assignment worth more than that child's life? You know, it's like, it's they, and for some kids, it, it might be, you know, that your assignment may be the thing that, that sets them over the edge and not intentionally, but I'm just not willing to put the work they're doing for me above them.
0: Yeah, I think late work Agreed. could be a whole
1: episode.
2: Oh, late work could be its own episode, <laughs> definitely.
1: Oh, late late work would be an episode that I think we would have a lot of people tuning into. <laughs> that is
0: a, hey, that, I, submitted, I submitted some late work today. I was like, wait, wait, wait. Don't fire me. Don't fire me. I'm speaking today. Hey,
1: I'll hey, tell you another episode late <laughs> work, late work and Standards-based grading versus letter grades.
2: Oh
0: my god! Versus
1: oh. rubrics. All oh, that we we could talk for hours on that. But
0: I think we had. I think we got that in the show notes. I think we have that one already up there. So that's fun. <laughs> All right, Gerard. Anything else you want to add to this question about what this looks like or sounds like?
1: No, I think you guys got it covered on that yeah. one.
0: And, and, and full disclosure, disclosure, because I want to keep the same energy. There are, have been moments – and earlier I said there have been times where I haven't uh, I let me put it out there this way. There have been moments where I have not supported a teacher in the way that this teacher needed support. And I, I'm going to own that because it has happened, whether it's because I'm busy or I didn't listen well enough or whatever. I need to make sure I bring the same energy to that because there have been multiple, many, probably hundreds of moments I haven't supported a teacher in a way that they need to be supported as their administrator. Um and, and thankfully, you know, you build up enough social capital, you build up enough relationships with your staff that that they kind of are you know, they accept your apology and or they just know that, you know, Doug, next time you're gonna do better. But I don't want to put that out there that's you know, like you said, Dina, we all make mistakes.
1: I gotta agree with you on that one, Doug. Same here. Yeah. yeah. Same here.
0: That's that's the admin game. Go ahead.
1: Hashtag admin life. <laughs> Teachers, we want to support you every, every time we can. But when we fall short, please forgive us.
2: It's and, You know, and I think for the most part we do. And I think if you have a, you know, I've worked with some stellar administrators. And I've wor- also worked with some administrators who are very challenged. And, you know, and I think generally speaking, if you have that kind of relationship, the, you know, they we understand. You know, we understand it's, you know, it's, we understand what it feels like to open up your email and find, you know, like 500 emails and, you know, what you have to deal with on a daily basis. Um, And there's a lot that you do with as administrators that we don't even hear about or see, you know, and I I think, I think most teachers genuinely understand that. So they understand when you can't, um, when you can't be as responsive as, you know, we would like.
0: Yeah. So we're going to jump into the third question. Uh, I'll just throw this one last thing out there. I think education, no matter what school you're in, is the only job where you're dealing with people. All, I mean, it's it's worse than customer service because they like come in and they leave. Like your kids, they come in, they stay for seven and a half hours. They don't go anywhere, <laughs> so you got to deal with them. But anyway, all right. <laughs> so here is the final con- question: Why is school the front lines of these conversations? Like, what is it about school? that makes this sort of work around equity diversity, but even beyond that, like why is it important for us as educators to push the boundaries of all sorts of things and not leave it up to other people to do that? Anybody.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go with like answer through the vein of being a reading teacher and you know, somebody who has most of her experience in, in teaching, um, English and ELA. um, One of the reasons why we look at point of view and perspective in literature, and even with history, because there are history standards that kind of fall in with that as well um, is because there is a danger in only hearing one version of a story, you know, and there's a great Ted talk that kind of goes with that. Um, There's, there's a danger in that. And if we are only ever hearing one perspective of anything, it, it depletes, us. And I will, I will dare say it depletes our soul to have that be the, the only thing that we understand or the only perspective we understand. And if it weren't for looking at how somebody views something through the vein of white supremacy or through racism, we, we wouldn't be able to address some of those issues and be able to work with one another or work with other people. Um, it's necessary. The conversations are necessary. The dialogue is necessary. The work is necessary because w- we all have to continue to work together and the world is going to continue to become more diverse Right. as time so, goes on.
0: So Dina, can you give us an example of a time in your classroom from whenever when there you had a conversation and it was like, oh, somebody had a different viewpoint and you had to just go with it? I mean, or something like that where diverse ideas are out there?
2: It happens all the time when we read literature. And what I'm discovering a little bit more is, you know, the, the students are so I, I teach eighth graders, and they're at the point now where they're starting to figure out that there is power behind their words. They're starting to figure out that they can say things that can be incredibly hurtful. And this is the first time that I've really seeing that be intentional, you know, it's the in, it, but as much as I do see that, I also see a lot of commenting or remarking where they don't realize what they have said.
0: Right. And right. I I, you, right. Yeah. I've
2: had to address that a couple you, of times.
0: You stop it right away. And you're like, hold on, hold on. Stop. I stop. do.
2: It's, um, and it hasn't come. It's, it's like you said earlier, Doug, or maybe Gerard said this. I don't remember which one of you said this, but it's like, they, they don't even realize that like the thing that's coming out of their mouth they they understand in the grand scheme well i can't talk about people in that way because being openly racist is frowned upon sure. but there's there is a microaggression that happens with that and what ends up ha- what what ends up happening there were a couple of instances where i you know a student has said uh, s- said something through the vein of oh well somebody who is hispanic does this or you know an asian person talks this way and being part vietnamese i when they when the student said that i said to him you know my people really frown upon it when you talk about us like that yeah and it was yeah. like oh like <laughs> All of a yeah. sudden it was like, oh, because I don't, I, like, I. it's not like, I, and I have told my students before, it was like, you know, I am, I am part Vietnamese, you know, it's not like, it's not something I'm ashamed of. It's not something I hide. You know, I'm very proud of that, that part of who I am.
0: Absolutely.
2: Um, but it was like, they were like, oh, and it's like, and it's funny because usually the response you hear back to something like that is something to the effect of, oh, well, I didn't realize that person was.
0: Right. You know, exactly.
2: I didn't realize that person's family was black. I didn't realize that person's, you know, brother was Hispanic. I didn't realize, you know, and I'm like, it doesn't matter whether you, whether you knew that person was or wasn't, you said a thing that was racist.
0: So yeah. we need to stop. We need to stop. Yeah. So, real quick, I mean, so Gerard, I'm going to kick it to you in a second, but the, the, the biggest white fear is being called a racist. Like as a white person, I know that. Like you don't want to be called a racist and that's what we all fear. And that's why the fragility creeps this way in because you, you're like you, you walk this I, I don't know what i'm gonna say if i'm called a racist i don't know what i'm gonna do about it and and it's just ridiculous but gerard obviously yeah. your experience in life is different than my experience in life right so why do you think it's so important that school is the front line of these conversations
1: well like i, I think we had when we first got together and talking about this for me of course I'm a black man, my wife's a black woman, and we got black kids. So there's, there's one race in the house, there's no diversity. So when my kids go to school, what they see at home is not what they're going to see at school. So looking at the adult, the adults in the school, us as educators, we got to look around and realize that my white students outside of school may not ever be around Or have close friends that live around them that are black, Asian, Vietnamese, but they're in class with them. So they may not be as sensitive as they should to those different cultures. So us as the adults, um, leading back to those difficult difficult conversations, we're going to learn through that. And that way, when, like Dina said, when things like that in the classroom happen, we can quickly be able to turn that into um, an educational piece. For the students and as they progress through school, more than likely that will happen again because they'll always remember that one conversation. But if the teacher or the adult in the room isn't used to having those conversations at the adult level and they just want to gloss over it, that's when those microaggressions keep creeping up in different classrooms. And the kids and the kids are saying this student has been making these comments since we was in sixth, seventh grade. And The students that go straight to like students won't won't say well that was an insensitive comment or (laughs) they're going what's the first thing students going to say oh he's racist racist. that's racist that's racist. (laughs) And and if I wanted
2: to, I wanted to ask you this because you are because you are from I got a question too. (laughs)
1: Um,
2: have you have you ever heard this in response to when a student has said something inappropriate? Oh well, I'm from Seaford. It's like now what is that supposed yeah, to mean? Yeah, like yeah, like yeah, you can't claim yeah. your city as an excuse or your town no. as an excuse for your comment.
1: Nope, you're you're absolutely right. I've had to educate <laughs> I've never, you heard, that. I've never well. heard that. Oh, they'll do it. They will do it. I'm from Seaford. Yeah, they I'm will. Kidding. Can they or, say I'm
0: from Georgetown? I'm from Laurel. Can yeah. they say that too? They try or, to.
1: Yeah, they will and especially like where where we are Doug, you if you were in the secondary, you probably would hear it more like where you're yeah, you at, you probably would hear, Well, I'm from yeah. Philly. I'm from Philly, I'm from Jersey. I'm from
0: Philly. Yeah, exactly. No better than me. I'm from Philly. I'm
1: from
0: Philly. I'm like, all right, whatever. You're you're, <laughs> you're you're in my school in Newcastle right now. I don't know where you are
1: yeah. from. <laughs> yeah. And and that and, and that goes to as us as educators in the room, if we have a student saying that, if we don't know how to address address that you're going to have somebody of a different race thinking, oh, well, everybody from Seaford or everybody from Philly of that yeah. race acts like that. And then that's where those microaggressions start. And then yep. you yep. <laughs>
0: yep. not here. That's exactly what I think happens. So, Gerard, let me ask you, if you don't want to answer this question. um I, I totally understand. But how often do you talk to your children? I know they're, they're growing up about race and discrimination and that sort of thing. Do you talk to them or have you talked to them yet? I don't know if they're old enough or how do you feel about that with your own children?
1: Yeah, we, we've had a conversation, but honestly, it really kind of started with them I think I told this story before, but it really started with them seeing things like my my oldest. She's 12 now, but when she she's in seventh. But when she was in six, she noticed that in Comic-Con, came home to have a conversation with me. I was like, Dad, uh, it's totally different in middle school than elementary. It's like all the black kids sit together in the cafeteria. And then she told me about a story of when her and a couple of her friends were going to class and. Um, one of the educators in the hallway was kind of like hounding them per se, like get to class almost late. And my daughter didn't say anything, but one of her friends that are more vocal and made a comment, why do you always got to say something to us black kids that are together going to class? You ain't saying anything to the, you know, the, the, those, the other students that aren't black that are right down there behind us. And, that's when we was able to have a conversation and, um, you know, troubleshoot and say, okay, well, what do you think that is? And we just have a real conversation. But as far as in my home, we don't we teach that you know treat everybody right and nah, but um, focus focus on what focus on what you see. But yeah. we also have to have those race conversations, especially like with my son. He's seven, but. I'll, I'm going to have to have those conversations with him about being a black male
0: right. in America. Right. So it's interesting. So, like, Dean, do you have any race conversations in your house? Because I'm going to chime in here too in a minute. But
2: um, we actually, yeah, my, my son and I actually have pretty regular conversations because he goes to the school that I, I work at. So we get to talk a lot in the car. And you know, we had a conversation a couple of years ago when um, we had, you know, there was an an incident of um, uh, police violence in Pittsburgh, and my brother in law had suggested he said, "There's going to be a lot of stuff on the news, and if you aren't having this discussion with your son, you're probably going to want to start talking to him about, you know, what what he's going to say. And so we started having discussions about it, and one of the things that we had talked about is, you know, you you know, you are the, my son saying this to my son, you are, you know, the most, probably the most privileged person on earth. And you need to understand that your situation and somebody else's situation are not the same. And just because you haven't experienced it does not mean that the other person's situation doesn't exist. Um, And I said, so you need to respect that. And I said, you know, and, you know, we talk about, you know, he said, he said to me one day, I I don't want to refer to somebody by the wrong thing. And he said, so what do I do? And I said, are you talking about people of color? And he said, yeah. And I said, you asked he's Scared.
0: Of, he's, he's scared of being called a
2: racist. And I think, I think what it is with him is that like, he's afraid to offend anybody. You right, know? Right, right. Like he, like he's so afraid of like offending somebody. And, you know, and I said to him, well, I said, if you're unsure, you ask. And I said, mm-hmm. because not every person of color is black. And I said, and, you know, and we have different races. There are some people who are black. They don't want to be called African-American. They don't feel that that is, you know, a, a label that they can identify with. And that, that is okay. I said, you just ask them. You yeah. know, how, do
0: you, how do you identify? How do you yeah. identify? Yep. How do you want to be, what do you want to be yeah. called? You tell me and I will call you that.
1: <laughs> exactly. You're exactly right.
0: I mean, it's that simple, but it's hard to do that. I, I'll tell you the, and, and we probably should end this soon, but. You know, I've started to have the same conversations, Dina, as you've had with your children, but I have to initiate those conversations, Gerard, because my kids are not going to come home and say, I had this experience because they're just not, because they're white, blonde haired, brown eyed kids who can, they come into a white space. I mean, so it's interesting because what my message to my kids has been, and my son's in sixth grade, is if you hear something that sounds inappropriate, based on the conversations that we've had about what is inappropriate, you need to say something and stand up for those people that are around you because you can't be that person that's not going to say something. My son and my daughters are not going to be those people. And I don't know that they get it yet, but they're going to get it by the time that they're adults. And I'll just share a quick story from my past. My parents never talked to me about race ever. Never. I don't remember one conversation ever. Never about Anything. My mom's advice to me was don't get anybody pregnant. Like that was it. You know, like, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, mom, I got you on that. I got you on that one. But what, but what they did was, and if my parents have listened to this podcast, I'm not disparaging them. Cause I think my dad is probably one of the most progressive thinkers that I've met as an old man. But, when he used to live on second street in Wilmington and second street, Wilmington, if you're not from Delaware, it, it's pretty rough. And I had a brother who had down syndrome. So when we would go to the park, we got in fights a lot because a lot of the kids in the neighborhood were mostly black would pick up my brother and I would, you know, challenge them to fights. Cause I was like, you can't pick up my brother. So anyway, long story short, the, the issue that happened was he would, all, we would always drive in the city and he would lock the door of his car. And like, and I started thinking about it as I got an adult, like, what message are you sending a kid by when you go into the city, you're locking the doors of your car. You know what I mean? So like, that was something that like, I never thought about And I'm like, he never said anything, but he sent me a, a message as a child that, you know, black people are scary. And then it was reinforced with the fact that, you know, my brother got picked on and I'm not suggesting it was because anybody was a different color, he just looked different. You know, people looked at him different. And I was super sensitive. And I probably jumped off and started. I Sure, I started all the fights. But it was, <laughs> it was just one of those things that, like, I was protective of him. But it was reinforced by my dad's actions. And I just remember always him saying, lock the doors. And I'm like, why are we locking the doors? We didn't lock the doors when you're picking me up at mom's house. Like, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? like at mom's house we got doors unlocked we got windows down like why in Wilmington do we have to roll the windows up and lock the doors like it doesn't make any sense but anyway there's a whole lot of baggage to unpack with my dad but um <laughs> I'll leave it at that I'll but I think
2: that a different podcast
0: yeah, yeah yeah I think a lot but I think a lot of white people are reinforced with those sort of messages yeah. about black people in particular black people being scary and you know, like crossing the street, black people with hoods. And I think that that's that unprogramming, unlearning where we have to relearn the fact that, you know what? It isn't quite like that. That isn't an issue. Sure. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Anybody have any last words before we wrap this one up?
1: No, I think this has been been great. This is the start of getting that conversation going.
0: Yeah. yeah. I lo- Go ahead.
2: I, I'm hopeful that if, you know people can hear us having this dialogue that it will take some of the anxiety they may be feeling out of having these types of conversations
0: i'm, I'm anxious having this conversation with you all <laughs> just kidding yeah,
1: no <laughs>
0: all right all right we're gonna end this one with our uh, intro and outro music and we will see
1: you all soon enough